The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org. All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, good to see you here. Um, so I think I want to start today by acknowledging that as women um, and men fighting for our right to choose, um, we're basically in the weakest position than we've been in since the passage of Roe versus Wade in 1973. Um, for the first time, a majority, 51% of the population, defines themselves as pro-life. And younger generations, um, who are far more progressive by many other standards, show dramatic numbers in opposition to abortion. According to the LA Times in an article written in 2008, the Pew Research Center polls dating back a decade show that 18 to 29-year-olds are consistently more likely than the general adult population to favor strict limits on abortion. A Pew survey about a year ago found that 22% of young adults support a total ban on abortion, um, compared with 15% of their parents' generation. A Gallup poll added that 72% of teens called abortion morally wrong, and 32% believed it should be illegal in all circumstances. Um, and that's in comparison to adults surveyed that same year who said that only 17% of them said that it should be illegal, or a total ban, basically. Um, these arguments have been helped by pseudoscience um, claims about post-abortion depression, links to breast cancer, which have been completely disproved, um, and the idea of fetal pain, which has yet to be substantiated by any science. Um, and despite the fact that among the adult population, public opinion hasn't really changed drastically, the gains made on the state level this year, just this year, <laughs> by anti-choice advocates have been chilling in their scope and number. Um, critics of abortion and a woman's right to choose have been emboldened by the 2007 um, Supreme Court decision to uphold a federal ban on a late-term procedure that critics call partial birth abortions. About 370 state bills limiting abortion have been already introduced in 2010, and at least 24 of these bills have passed. The sheer number of bills is frightening in itself, and then it's crazy when you even get to the content of what they contain. Um, in Oklahoma, one bill requires that a woman see an ultrasound of the fetus before terminating the pregnancy, even in cases of rape and incest. And another law allows doctors to withhold information about birth defects without danger of retribution. So they can basically lie to you, and then they never have to pay the piper. Um, so bills have been passed barring ensuers from covering abortions and new insurance exchanges, and barring state employee health plan coverage in Arizona. In Nebraska, the concept of fetal pain was used to pass a ban on all abortions after 20 weeks, despite the fact that one of the experts providing evidence in the case um, to the legislature was in fact an expert in pain management who had never worked on fetuses and had no experience with them whatsoever. These bills and other like, others like them have created an atmosphere in which over 88% of counties have no facilities for the procedure, forcing women, often young and poor, to travel great distances. In addition to this, and state laws limiting access, there are fewer hospitals who now provide abortion services, there's a severe shortage of abortion providers, and these providers are rapidly aging. Over half of the providers are over the age of 65. And there is continued harassment and violence directed at these providers, including the tragic loss of Dr. Tiller last year. So the question is, how has it been possible for the right to make so many gains? Um, I think that this question comes down to the main methods that pro-choice advocates have been using. I don't quite understand what they call their strategy, uh, but it seems to have focused on the idea of compromise and common ground. 
By and large, right-to-choose advocates have embraced this strategy starting in the 1980s when leaders of the largest pro-choice organizations, including the National Abortion Rights Action League, now called NARAL Pro-Choice America, and Planned Parenthood, um, for example, began, cha- began changing the terms of the debate in an attempt to find common ground with the other side. NARAL, for example, instructed their staffers to avoid phrases um, such as a woman's body is her own to control and to reshape the right to choose as a privacy issue. In this way, right to choose advocates allowed a civil rights argument to be reframed into a moral one. Today, this change can be clearly seen in the language on both the right and the left um, that refers to an abortion as a regrettable or distasteful decision. It begins from the position that no woman wants to have an abortion or that, of course, we want to reduce the number of abortions. Um, And basically, by this logic, abortion has become something to be constantly apologized for rather than a basic right to be fought for and protected. Um, Water. Another huge restraint of the movement has been its continued commitment to the Democratic Party, which has basically continued to sell it out. Um, Some famous examples from history are Jimmy Carter, who supported the Hyatt Amendment, which gutted government funding for abortion, and Bill Clinton, who also stood by while major losses were dealt for abortion rights. The Democratic Party, which was once considered to be the pro-choice party, and basically many organizations still considered to be the pro-choice party, um, has moved right in an attempt to reach out to moderate voters. As pro-choicers move further and further towards positions of compromise, um, they have basically abandoned equal rights uh, arguments. And while the left has moved right, the right has just moved further right, emboldened by wins over the last 20 years. Um, There was a really good uh, editorial in the New York Times uh, last year during the healthcare debate by Kate Mitchellman, the former president of NARAL Pro-Choice America. Um, And she basically was calling out the Democrats' recent stance on abortion rights, and she said, these so-called friends of women's rights have arguably done more to undermine reproductive rights than some of abortion's staunchest foes. Um, She went on to argue that Democrats have distanced themselves from the abortion rights movement in other ways as well by calling Democrats who oppose a woman's right to choose pro-life instead of anti-choice. And the group's Democrats for Life of America, whose congressional members ultimately led the battle to exclude private insurance companies that cover abortions from the health insurance exchanges, um, were invited to hold a press conference in Democratic Party offices. The party has promoted pro-life progressives like Sojourners, Catholics United, and Catholics in Alliance for the Common Good, um, organizations whose leaders have stated that abortion should be made more difficult to get, basically. Um, So then we get to President Obama, and he is by and large no exception um, to this sellout by the Democrats. Um, It's true, and I think it's important, that he historically struck down a rule that prohibits U.S. money from funding international family planning clinics that promote abortion or that provide counseling or referrals about abortion services. But I think we can pretty much say this is about the only good thing he's done um, for abortion rights. Where am I? Uh, For example, his choice of voices at the table to discuss policy recommendations for the 2011 budget question were dominated by organizations such as the National Abstinence Education Association and faith-based ones such as Concerned Women for America, which calls the Freedom of Choice Act the Freedom to Kill Act, um, and the the Family Research Council, which promotes the traditional family unit. The legislation that currently sits on his desk, and one that would be a huge step forward for all women, is the Freedom of Choice Act, which remained unsigned through the eight years um, of Bill Clinton's presidency, and it pretty much seems unlikely that it will be signed under Obama as well. 
The Freedom of Choice Act would prevent the government, state and federal, from discriminating against a woman on the basis of reproductive health care decisions like having a child, um, using birth control, or having an abortion. The bill would forbid government interference um, in a woman's right to make private, personal family planning and reproductive health decisions and would also invalidate harmful laws such as the laws that have been passed in several states this year. The failures of the Democratic Party and the wins of the right have led to basically one reigning argument, that everyone else's opinion about raising a child matters more than the mothers themselves. And that is not their decision to make. Whether or not a woman chooses to have an abortion should be her decision alone, not the states and not anti-choicers who claim they're trying to save us from others or from ourselves. Without the fundamental right to control our own bodies and decide when, how, and under what circumstances um, to choose to have a child, women will be relegated to second-class status. Historically, the fight between pro-choice advocates and pro-life advocates boils down to the fight for control over women's bodies. Any discussion of women's liberation and equality cannot be separated from control over reproductive health. And the fight for reproductive rights extends to the rights of LGBT individuals as well. And I think that's important. We can talk about that more um, in the discussion. The shifting needs of capitalism have played a huge role in this fight to control reproduction and have contributed to the suppression and legalization of abortion, to which the women's liberation movement has responded. The arguments against abortion are multifaceted, but at their core they are sexist, racist, and anti-poor. Ironically, the percentage of women who have had abortions or know someone who has had an abortion has remained relatively stable over the last 100 years, despite wildly changing um, official treatment of the procedure. According to the Allen Guttmacher Institute, one in three women in the U.S. has an abortion before the age of 45. It is women's own pressing need to control their own bodies and their continued demand for abortion that succeeded in reversing public policy towards abortion in the uh, late 1960s and 1970s. And it is the continued need for the freedom to choose and pressure from women who still ask for that control over their bodies that has been the main obstacle to the complete dissolution of the right to choose since then. Um, according to Sharon Smith in her book, Women and Socialism, worldwide, 26 million legal abortions are performed every year, while another 20 million are e illegally performed in countries where abortion is severely restricted or banned. In periods of the United States history, when um, abortion was restricted or banned, the number of illegal abortions performed increased dramatically, um, increasing along with it the number of women who died from this procedure unnecessarily. There's no evidence that restricting legal abortions eliminates the need for women to decide when and if they can take on the financial and emotional burden of child rearing. As our society changes, as more women than ever enter the workforce and marry older, the right to make these decisions is as important as ever. Women are still expected to be the primary caregivers and the burden lies ultimately on them. No doctor, partner, parent, or the state should decide what's best. Um, Sexism plays a huge role in women's oppression. You can't, as a woman, <laughs> I don't know what it's like as a man, probably a little different, but you can't pick up a magazine aimed at women or young girls at the grocery store that doesn't somehow place the burden of a healthy sexual relationship into the hands of a woman. Mm -hmm. The headlines read, how to satisfy your man, or how to get your man and keep him, uh, which besides being horribly heteronormative and stereotypical, basically also teach women to be competitive and cutthroat and above all desirable to win in the big game of partnership. And being desirable and good in bed requires you to have sex. 
In a culture that sexualizes girls and boys at a young age, I think we shouldn't be surprised that the result is sexually active teens. And with increasing uh, abstinence-only birth control funding, we basically leave our girls to fend for themselves. According to the Sexual Education and Information Council of the United States, many abstinence-only until marriage programs rely on fear, shame, and guilt to try to control young people's sexual behavior. These programs include negative messages about sexuality, distort information about condoms and STDs, and promote biases based on gender, sexual orientation, marriage, family structure, and pregnancy options. On one hand, girls' bodies are commodified and hypersexualized, and on the other, they are taught that marital sex is the only moral choice. All right, so racism also plays into the fight for control over reproductive rights. Um, poor women of color have been the ones to pay the highest price for the restriction of abortion services, and poor win- women of color have been the hardest hit. When abortion was legalized in the 1970s, nearly 94% of women who died from illegal abortion were Latina or black. Even more disgusting and racist are the population control arguments that eugenicists have used over the last century to target, um, to advocate mass sterilization programs and targeted birth control programs. These programs happen both in the United States, where 100,000 to 150,000 poor black teenagers per year were sterilized in the early 1970s in Alabama, for example, and in U.S. colonies such as Puerto Rico, where one-third of women of childbearing age had been sterilized. This was a pet project by Planned Parenthood, by the way. Um, Attempts to criminalize abortion have had the greatest effect effect on the working poor who are often of color. (laughs) Um, It is poor women who are most likely to have difficulty getting health care for complications from any abortion and most likely to die from complications of illegal abortions. Wealthy women have always been able to gain access to abortion, while the poor have paid the greatest price for its suppression. Despite the best efforts to criminalize abortion, it still happens. In the period before abortion was legalized, women of color made up 94% of all deaths. I told you that. Um, And if the numbers in the United States are horrible, they're nothing compared to numbers from countries where abortions are more severely restricted. For example, a study by Planned Parenthood released earlier this year documented the methods used to induce abortion by immigrant women from the Dominican Republic, including mixing malted beverages with aspirin, salt, or nutmeg, throwing themselves downstairs, or having people punch them in the stomach. And as it becomes harder and harder for women to have access to safe and legal abortion, we can only assume that these instances and these examples will increase. Attempts to control women's reproduction are actually fairly recent in the long run. Um, The United States was not founded a country that considered abortion to be a criminal act. Reproductive decisions were uh, considered to be best left to women. And... um, But what happened was that massive industrialization um, that required more workers played a role in making this change. Between 1880 and 1930, the criminalization of abortion uh, basically crept over the nation state by state. Before this period, common law allowed early abortion, and early abortion was defined as um, the termination of a pregnancy that occurred before quickening, or basically before a mother could feel the baby moving around, which happens around 16 weeks. Um, It was widely accepted and it was widely performed um, in the home of a woman or a midwife or a doctor, um, and conceptions of when life begins were widely different as well. 
As early as the mid-18th century, inducing an abortion by taking drugs was commercialized. These drugs began to be commonly sold by doctors, apothecaries, and other healers. And although there was little public discussion of these experiences, historical records show um, that women actually shared this information with each other and with their partners. Women aided each other in finding someone else to do an abortion. Female relatives often helped find and pay for abortions. Helping daughters, sisters, and nieces obtain abortions was like attending deliveries and giving advice on child rearing, part of the maternal role and sibling relationship. But the discussion about abortion wasn't even just limited to women during this time. Many men played an active role in the decisions. Um, according to Reagan in her book, When Abortion Was a Crime, women also counted on men. Lovers often help women obtain abortions. Men and women and unmarried couples shared assumptions about what should be done in the event of a pregnancy. Um, and this assumption was that women had the abortions and men paid for them. Um, <laughs> records from a coroner in Cook County revealed that the working class boyfriends often acted on this assumption and took the financial responsibilities for an abortion. The initial laws governing abortion in the United States were actually aimed at preventing women from being poisoned by quacks rather than uh, moral condemnation or punishment for, for the, the choice of a, abortion. Along with the need for more workers, um, the consolidation of medicine and the increased role of male doctors in women's reproductive <laughs> lives led to the first organized attacks on abortion. In 1857, the newly organized AMA, the American Medical Association, um, began its attempts to make abortion at every stage of pregnancy illegal. To do this, they basically had to discredit women's own experiences and knowledge um, of their bodies by attempting to uh, destroy the idea of quickening and attempting to claim the birthing experience for the male medical field. Um, in addition, racist eugenic arguments, increased nationalism, and the declining birth rates of native foreign women led to arguments encouraging these women to have more children and to boost the nation, um, and more importantly, remain a majority. All right. It was during the early 20th century that these arguments began to really take hold, um, and the racist arguments as well, and states began passing anti-abortion laws. Under most of these laws, abortion was still permitted if it was performed for bona fide medical or surgical procedure or purposes, but doctors often used these excuses um, for abortions for women's personal reasons. Anti-abortion advocates knew that they were losing the ideological war um, against abortion, and they began to change their tactics. It was during this period that the real war against midwifery began. Up to this point, there were still relatively equal percentage of doctors and midwives who performed abortions. The new attacks focused on illustrating abortions as an extremely dangerous procedure and one that midwives were not educated enough to perform. Reagan points out that as obstetric obstetricians tried to establish their specialty, they focused on midwives as the source of their field's low status and they led a campaign to control their competitors. Many of the midwives came from immigrant communities and the fight took on an ugly racist face as well um, as native-born well-to-do women sought to root the problem in these communities. The attack on midwives largely came as a result of the sexism that had kept women out of the medical community in the late part of the 19th century. And as women were um, brought into the, the medical community, the women who were able to attend college felt that they had to differentiate themselves from the midwives. Um, midwives were labeled as primary proponents of abortion, and in an anti-abortion, anti-midwife fervor by 1896, the first set of rules restricting midwives was published. 
Um, and although they were unable to organize any sort of large-scale resistance to this persecution, um, there is exciting documentation that shows, um, at least that in Chicago, midwives showed themselves neither to be passive nor ignorant about how to defend themselves and actually organized mass meetings and shared information about enforcement. By the 1920s, the national campaign against midwives had ended, and the spotlight was turned on other policy questions, such as mother and baby health and birth control. All right, so the Great Depression. Um, the economic downturn of the Great Depression eased social and state pressure on women seeking abortions. Um, the economic realities of the Great Depression placed more pressure on doctors to perform them, and the scarcity of jobs and monetary insecurity pushed women to put off marriage and to seek abortions more often. In addition, during the Depression, married women were routinely fired on the assumption that um, jobs belonged to men and that women had husbands who supported them. And this discrimination against married women forced single women to delay marriage and have abortions in order to keep their jobs. At the same time, the procedure moved from the home to the hospital um, in clinics, which basically set the state up to play a larger role in suppression later on. The result of this was that both legal and illegal abortion increased throughout the period. Um, though newspapers and horror stories have written this history as illicit and dangerous, a much different story is actually told in the case studies of professional um, abortionists. According to the case studies, many women had abortions in settings nearly identical to doctors' offices where they received other medical care. These doctors worked in a single procedure, abortion. They used standard medical procedures to perform safe abortions routinely and ran what may be called abortion clinics. Um, despite the occasional hand from lovers and families, the main economic of the abortion remained upon the woman. Um, but in communities of color, um, in certain communities of women, I'm sorry, um, they came together to actually help carry the burden. And this is another indication, I think, that, that re abortions were relatively commonplace. In New Jersey in 1936, for example, nearly 1,000 women paid regular dues for a membership into um, insurance, which entitled them to regular examinations and illegal operations when they needed them. Um, another huge step forward for women during the Great Depression was um, the legitimization of birth control. A poll released in 1937 shows that nearly 80% of American women approved of birth control. In fact, for the first time, the federal government sponsored birth control programs in the late 1930s. The birth control movement has played a huge role in the development of ideas about abortion. Um, in the attempt to differentiate birth control from abortion, it argued that one was morally acceptable and the other was not. Although it was radical promotion of female pleasure, um, and I think that we need to sort of um, be proud of the birth control movement for that, um, and the, the power, the control over reproduction, these early birth control advocates did not break with the moralistic views of abortion. Um, but still, the ideological war against abortion had not been won. And despite the hard work of the birth control advocates, women continued coming to birth control clinics for abortions. And basically the most notable change for women was that they now um, stated that they felt guilt about the procedure. In addition, um, prominent members of the birth control movement have advocated racist eugenic arguments, such as Margaret Sanger, 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 um, a founder of Planned Parenthood and early birth control advocate. The increase of abortions, both legal and illegal, didn't go noticed um, during the Great Depression, most importantly because of the number of women who were hospitalized after an illegal procedure. 
Um, entire wards were dedicated to caring for emergency abortion cases. The entrance of these women into the public medical sphere began to make the question of women's mortality more apparent for many doctors. A study in 1931 showed that illegal abortion was responsible for at least 14% of the nation's maternal mortality. The increased spotlight on the danger of illegal abortion encouraged several prominent physicians to begin talking about the repeal of abortion laws. Although they were able to spark a controversy, a real debate about liberalizing or changing the abortion laws did not occur. Although a few MDs advocated greater access to abortion in the depression years, which ultimately did help to make more therapeutic abortions uh, available, unfortunately, birth controllers continued to treat abortion as taboo. Occasionally, birth control staff quietly helped women find abortions, but publicly, birth controllers adamantly rejected abortion. These continuing contradictions illustrate clearly, I think, the um, dual nature of medical development at this time. As Frederick J. Tossig, an obstetrician, gynecologist, and radical from the 1930s explains, um, there have been two movements running counter to each other about the nature of medical practice and the relationship between the patient's social world and sickness and health. The questions at stake were basically whether medical decisions should be made based on medicine alone, or if a physician should take into account the person in his or her family. Tossig himself, although he believed in taking into account social conditions, family need and income, never considered asking the woman himself, herself. By the end of the Great Depression, and um, more importantly, the end of World War II, um, there was an extreme change for doctors and midwives who performed abortions and for women who sought them. Changing images of female independence had shaken up traditional gender roles um, as women seemed to have left the home and entered um, the workplace. As the war ended, women were pressured to return home and to resume their previous domestic lives. The repression of abortion and methods used were part of another historical phenomenon during, during this time, the rise of McCarthyism. The same arguments used to justify the silencing of radical thought and action was used to control abortion practice as well. McCarthyism was devoted not only to eradicating the Communist Party, but to destroying labor, peace, and interracial movements. As part of the fervent anti-communism of the post-war period, police and government agents investigated and harassed thousands of people for their political views and frightened many more while the majority learned to conform and keep quiet. Deviation from standard gender and sexual behavior came under attack along with political deviance. State authorities labeled gays and lesbians, perverts and national security risks, and police raided their bars. Abortion symbolized subversiveness, um, as did other ideas and activities. In fact, abortion was linked to, communist, to communism during this time, and red baiting entered the medical abortion discourse. So... Overall, women suffered the most from the new repression um, and exposing of doctors and midwives who performed um, abortions that happened after the Great Depression. The police not only made public the women's private decisions, but they also invaded her body with medical examinations. Um, hospital policy became harsher at this time, um, and the heat was put on doctors and women alike. As, obst as obstetrical departments instituted therapeutic abortion committees in the 1940s and 1950s, hospitals voluntarily took on a new role of enforcing um, abortion laws and acting as an arm of the state. These committees had the power to decide whether a woman would or would not be granted an abortion. The effect that this had on the abortion movement was quite substantial. 
More than just deciding individual cases, the committees discouraged both doctors and women from seeking abortions. Since the stakes were so high, many doctors were afraid to stake their um, experience um, or stake their practice on seeking an abortion, and many women feared the physical examinations and verbal questioning that um, this action would entail if they had one. So the movement that won the right to abortion for women was one that was influenced by the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, and one that began to place women at the forefront of this fight for the very first time. The movement included grassroots organizations, public health workers, and doctors. Um, up to this point, physicians, rather than women, were qualified to make the decision regarding the necessity of an abortion. Um, one of the strategies that women used was to form um, parallel underground organizations to help women obtain illegal abortions and to set up funds to help low-income women. These abortion clinics began to introduce radical politics and feminism into the abortion services, um, and they sought to empower women through knowledge of their own bodies. As Reagan clearly articulates in her book, abortion was part of this radical feminist analysis of sexual freedom because it had real material importance in women's lives and because it had symbolic significance. By 1968, radicals had managed to push the abor abortion movement from supporting um, arguments for reform and pushing for an actual repeal of the abortion laws. The prohibition of abortion, they argued, forced women to bear children. The state's enforcement of motherhood exemplified the oppression of women. During these years, um, medical support also grew in favor of repealing the abortion laws that it had helped to create. Um, and finally, in 1973, Roe v. Wade was passed, legalizing abortion. Um, and since it has passed, it was passed, it's been slowly chipped away at. It seems unlikely that Roe v. Wade will be directly overturned, um, but rather that states will continue to tear it apart piece by piece. Um, the first to lose their rights will be and have always been working class women and women of color. The limited access to abortion clinics, the absence of federal funds for abortion, and the fact that most employee health insurance plans will not pay for abortions has already made it nearly impossible um, for many women to have abortions. Abortion was won through struggle. The activists who learned from an earlier attempt in the 1930s from the civil and from the civil rights and the anti-war movements were able to build a mass movement made up of a variety of organizations from medical doctors to militant leftists. Small groups of radical women, including those who formed small groups called women's liberation groups, advocated um, more militant actions rather than lobbying. It was a remarkable victory, but not without its weaknesses. While it was considered to be a question of privacy for the women, the main thrust of the Supreme Court's decision was that it was a medical decision um, best left in the hands of the doctors without regulation of the state. The Supreme Court refused to take the position that the question, uh, the question of abortion was a civil rights question. And since then, I think much of the movement and much of the left has taken that same position. Um, the position that we must take is an unapologetic unapologetic demand for the right to choose. And I think the right to choose requires accessible and affordable abortions for all women. The right to choose is a step forward for all women, whether they ever decide to terminate a pregnancy or not. It is the right to control our own bodies, to decide when and if we want to take on the burden and often joy of motherhood, and to affirm that no one else can make the decision for us. It is our body and it is we who will carry the ultimate burden. The preceding program was a production of WeAreMany.org. 
a website dedicated to publishing radical and activist media that promotes a better understanding of today's world while also putting forward a vision for a better future. We Are Many is a project of the Center for Economic Research and Social Change. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org.